Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 94th episode, it's the revenge of Chris Sims. Yeah, I didn't know what to call it either. Along the way, we discuss being a newly reborn knife guy, whether you can afford to not buy 50 knives for $50, and our good rabbit ronin friend, Usagi Yojimbo, and how he is among the very best of things. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Oh, and a quick editor's note, we recorded this through Zencaster again, so expect the usual occasional stepped-on sounding audio. I'm sorry, it's something about being in Australia, but Chris sounds great. We join this conversation already in progress. Pocket knife, pocket knife. Yes, I keep that pocket knife. Move with that bitch on my hip. You ain't gonna get shot tonight. Pocket knife all yeah, in we my got, uh, We got so much good content coming yeah. out. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, mm-hmm. I uh, I don't have to do a work thing I thought I was gonna have to do at like 8 30 at night tonight, which is nice. I'll That's just nice. Do it next week instead. You're reclaiming your time. I mean, I had, you know, I was fine doing it. I just, you know, now I get to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. Oh man, I think it's like, because you know, I am not doing the parent misery parade thing. I promise, but it's just like mm-hmm. between my job, like if I'm starting at seven, I'm up at four forty-five for my job, and which means I then have to go to bed at nine to stay sane. So, and then it's like on the weekend, yeah, I go to bed at nine and I get up at like <laughs> seven, and that's just how I live my life now. It's because you don't have that small human deciding to do those Harley race diving headbutts onto you. If you don't get up, like legit, like oh, honestly, H- Hero knows how to work. Oh yeah, oh man, Hero's a good hand. Hero practices bumps, man. He practices bumps, and we try <laughs> to stop him because he's got like a play mat that's about an inch thick, and so he doesn't hurt himself when he hits the floor. But he'll like pile up mm-hmm. pillows, and we'll like throw up his hands and go ah, and then just go timber and just flop on them. And I'm like, tuck your chin, kid. <laughs> You'll be fine. That's what you want. You want your kid to be a worker. Yeah. He even has his, he's like, he'll do a big splash on his mom and he will go, whoa, and throw up his hands and then just go and launch himself. And she will not be ready in any way for it. And she'll just oh, have he's, to... he's a hardy boy. <laughs> yep. Yep. See, eventually he's going to get those vinyl raver pants with the white stitching. <laughs> Start riding dirt bikes in Cameron, North Carolina. Like that's about an hour away. <laughs> it, I have looked on Google Maps to find out how far away the Hardy compound is, and I, I could be there in 50 minutes. You, you could be to. chatting with Senior Benjamin. <laughs> yes. I do like the idea of, oh, fuck, what was the lake called? It was the Lake of something. The Lake of Resurrection? Yeah, that's it. You're within range of the Lake of Resurrection. It's within your grasp at any time. I go bring back my old gimmick, which I guess is just a version of me that is slightly more angry all the time. And can't lift quite as much. Can't, can't lift. <laughs> so yeah, you've been up to lots. I mean, because it's like this is the revenge of Chris Sims episode, but and people say their mm-hmm. best revenge is living well, and you've been living pretty well, man. I mean, let's see, you you lift really heavy things, didn't you? Break your record recently? 
I did. I can I can deadlift three ten now, which <laughs> is nice. Three hundred ten pounds. So you could lift very famous independent wrestler Jonah Rock, who is a very large Samoan man. That's it. That was his weight at his last PWA show. You could lift him. Yeah. He would probably hit you if you tried to do that. I can do a 200 bench. I think I did a shoulder press. I think I, I hit my shoulder press max this past week too. And then I was kind of sore. Oh no, it was back squats. I did a 300 pound back squat. <laughs> or maybe 350. I don't know. I put, look, I put it on Instagram. <laughs> you did. That's how I keep track of all that stuff. I've been watching it and just being like, wow, Chris can lift a lot of stuff. Yeah, look, I just, I just want to be a thirst trap. That's all. <laughs> That's all I'm going for. I was going to say that it segues nicely in the next bit. You've been uh, you've been working on being cute. Yes, I have. Like you go to Sephora and they will just help you out. They'll just tell you what you need to do. And I have a very red face sometimes. I get a little ruddy, which is a little weird for me because it's not like I'm out in the sun ever. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not like a cartoon character who drinks a lot. So <laughs> I don't know why. But, you know, you go get the uh, little Dr. Jarts, the little green stuff to kind of smooth out your complexion. And I was at a, I went to a friend's birthday party last week and I was like, oh, there's going to be people taking pictures here. So I put on, you know, just smooth things out a little bit. And then they took a picture of me. And now the cake shop wants to use my picture on their social media. And so I'm trying to negotiate to get free cupcakes out of that deal. Celebrated cake model. Actually, no, wait, yeah. you'd be, it's going to say if it's a cashless deal, it'd be a, you'd be a contra partner. So you're a contra partner cake model. <laughs> Exactly. You got it. You understand me, Lucas. I got you. So yeah, man. I mean, originally when we were talking about coming on, I had a very specific topic. But you know how sometimes like I'll keep notes about stuff and those notes will get bigger and bigger. Like, you know, when John Walter eventually comes on the show, I mean, we've got a long list of things I'm going to talk to him about, including how he knows the layout of the Golden Girls house. But specifically, you and I were going to talk about knives and how you're a knife guy. I love them. You've become a knife guy. I had an encounter with TSA late, recently Oh yes. about me being a knife guy, uh-huh. uh, about me forgetting I was a knife guy for a minute. Um, <laughs> so, okay, I, I know how the story is going to go, but just how big was this knife that was in your bag? It was large-ish. It was, I mean, like, it, it was a folding knife. Like a friction folder or like a... No, a, a lock folder. Okay. But it was, I think it was about like six and a half inches long. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it Christ. unfolded. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a pocket knife, you know, it has a clip on it and I keep it in my, or I kept it in my bag because that's where I keep things. And, you know, I go to places and I need to, and this is not like, I am not outdoorsy. I I just (laughs) talked about that, but if I'm setting up at a con and for whatever reason, I need to tie something down or I need to like open up a pack of things to, to set up some wrap snacks, some wrap snacks, or if someone uh, next to me, like I, you know, a lot of people have more complicated setups and they, they store them with like zip ties or something. Mm-hmm. If you need to open those, like it, you can't really easily open zip ties at a convention floor. So it's handy to have scissors or a knife in your con kit. I'm just picturing this scenario where it's like, there's four people standing around going, oh no, they've zip tied the boxes down. What are we going to do? And from behind them, they just hear, flick. <laughs> they turn around and you're silhouetted with the light behind you. Oh, hey, I got a knife. Yeah. Hey, I have a knife. Yeah. So it's it's literally, I put it in my bag because that's what I take with me to any place where I would need to do a mm-hmm. pocket knife thing, you know? <laughs> no, I, I can deal with that. Pocket knife activities. 
I actually had a similar situation to where I had a little Leatherman tool that in a, a call center that no longer exists that I used to work at, we were cleaning out the floor because we were shifting from level three to level four. And so we had to go and just make sure no one forgot anything. And just on the last pass, I found on the floor a little like folding Leatherman tool that you know you fold out into, I thought it was going to be pliers, but it was these really sharp, like like thick little scissors. And I went, oh, that's handy. So I put it in my pocket and I kind of asked around. I'm like, oh, did anyone, did anyone lose this? Is this, this belong to anybody? And no one did. So I, again, like you, I kept it in my bag. And every once in a while, yeah, it would come in very useful, you know, for, like you said, cutting a cable tie or anything you would need something sharp for. I didn't often use the blade because they're not really made to be knives, those things. They're made to be lots of other stuff. But yeah, I was in fact getting on a plane to Byron Bay and it got through Sydney okay. And then it was coming back from Byron Bay that in this little tiny airport in Maruchidor, I don't know if it's Queensland or it's right on the border. And they scanned it and they're like, could you just uh, reach into that front pocket there for me? And I went, oh, okay, sure. And I reached out and it's a crumpler bag. So it's like one of those pockets that's the entire lining of the bag long. Mm-hmm. So I like reach way down and I pull out this little Leatherman tool and he opens it up and there's this wicked blade on the inside that's like serrated. And he goes, yeah, that's not getting on the plane. And I went, you know, that's fair. Yeah. And he says, you can mail it to yourself. And I'm like, no, we got like an hour to the plane, my man. No way. Yeah. That is the exact thing that happened to me. Yeah. Because I went to the, I went to the airport and I had my bag with me and it went through the x-ray machine and they were like, uh, whose bag is this? And I was like, oh, that's mine. I wonder what it, oh, it's a knife. (laughs) That's what I remembered. I was like, oh, there's a knife in there. Right. And they were like, yeah. (laughs) And the funniest thing was I asked the same thing. I was like, oh man, can I just like you know, can you guys hang on to it for me and I'll be back in like three days? And they're like, you know. Uh, and the guy was like, look, if you have somebody waiting for you, you can like give it to them and come back through security. You can mail it to yourself. And I was just like, nah, like, I don't want to, like, I looked back at the line and I was like, no, this is my punishment. This $12 knife that I got at the world's largest knife store, the Smoky Mountain Knife Works. I, I like to call those moments the stupid tax, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't plan ahead and bring lunch today. And the only place open is a place that sells a $17 salad. Yeah. And so I will have to pay for that $17 salad. And that's me paying the stupid tax. Yeah, you know what's up. Yeah. So talking about the Smoky Mountain Knife Works. Well, hang on. I'm not I'm not quite done with the story. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. So I'm like, nah, man, you can just keep it. And the guy goes, well, I can't keep it. And I was like. <laughs> I'd like to. It's a nice knife. That's what he said. He looks down at it and he goes, Are you sure you want to give this up? It's a pretty good knife. <laughs> And that's how you know I was flying out of uh, North Carolina, because that was TSA's response. It's a pretty good knife. Are you sure? So your knife, I presume, is going to end up as a prop in a hardy compound video. Can you buy... Is it... You know how you can do, like, a police auction for, like, cars that are seized or whatever? Is there, like... Can you buy stuff that's, like, seized (laughs) by TSA? Do they have auctions? I know in Canada they have a chain of stores called Reclaim Luggage. Because what they do is they do, like, that Storage Wars shit. And they go, all right, well, we sell off these bags as like mystery boxes and whatever's in them you get. And so they're buying them at like pennies on the dollar. And then there's a chain of thrift stores that is just, hey, here's stuff that we found in airport luggage. I bet they have some strange items. I bet there's some stuff that does not make it to the floor. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, considering that, where is it? What's it called? I'm looking for the exact word because, hey, this is a podcast where we're talking about knives. I want to be specific about the type of knife I'm talking about. My roommate did, in fact, buy a Kora sword, which is an Indian fighting sword, which has the big round sort of circle on the pommel. And Okay. Yeah, why not? 
he brought that home to our shared apartment in Gatineau. And what's that? I don't know. Found it at the luggage store. Wow. Amazing. $26 Canadian got him an actual sword. I mean, that's look that I don't know if I could pass up that deal. I was going to tell you, like, it is a source of pride for me mm-hmm. that I do not own any swords. You could say a lot about me, but I, I do not own a sword. You're not one of those sword boys. But if $26, can, can you afford not to own it? That's the question. <laughs> I would actually be robbing myself. <laughs> How much is a good night's sleep worth to you? Because you would never sleep as soundly as you would in a house with a sword in it. That's true. Although, yes, I don't buy swords either. And although I have, you know, be- now being a dad, I have thought about getting a pocket knife that would live in my bag. But again, that's not a conversation you start in a lot of stores. Hey, so I want to keep a knife on me, but not like a scary knife, like a useful knife. Like a useful knife. <laughs> yeah. And however, I am really bad at purchasing kitchen knives that are very nice that I probably don't need. Well, look, I've been doing a lot of cooking lately, and I'm, I'm getting better with the old Wustoff. It's a chef's knife. N- knives are handy. Yeah, it's just like whenever I will walk through, like we'll go to Chatswood and like look around the stores and stuff, and I'll go past like the William Sonoma knife thing, and I'll look, and I'm like, those are incredibly overpriced. They're very pretty, though. Yes. Well, I was looking at one set, and they're like, oh, this is a you know a ninety dollars set marked down to sixty bucks, and I went, sixty bucks for three knives is a, like very nice knives is a good deal. Maybe not today. And just on the way home. I was looking on my phone and I quickly Googled the brand to be like, oh, I wonder if somewhere else closer to home sells it. And I found it at one of those kitchen warehouse sites for like $15 for the three knives. Wow. Okay. And I went, well, I'm purchasing that. That's a, what, $6 shipping? Still a bargain. And so now I have three high carbon steel Japanese cooking knives in my drawer. Nice. And I've been treating them very well because they're not stainless steel. They're high carbon steel. So you've got to like oil them and stuff. And so it's like after you use them, you're supposed to rub them down with olive oil and make sure there's no drop of moisture on them and then put them back in their special plastic kind of cover and then put them in the drawer. And I'm like, yeah. And once you draw them, you can't put them away until they taste blood. Yeah, exactly. And you should never draw a weapon unless you're ready to kill. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, have you put it on the floor and then put a ball on the floor and made hero choose? <laughs> <laughs> the life of the sword? No, no, I'm going with a different uh, genre. I'm instead holding some sort of amulet around my neck and <laughs> holding the sword and saying, you need to choose. And the amulet was what he picked, mostly because it was shinier. Oh, okay. I actually had a conversation with Aiden the other day because we were talking about, we've got one really nice set of knives. And so we've gotten rid of all of my cheap bachelor knives that, <laughs> that I got. Oh, oh, I know of the cheap bachelor. Yeah. How many of them were different colors? Oh, all of them were different colors, buddy. <laughs> How are you going to know which one's the Santoku and which one's the chef's knife if one's not blue and one's not red? And you know they're good knives because they're, you know, made by a pan company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, who who knows better how to how to cook? Yeah, Genpan knows knives. I mean, it's right. No, it's not there in the name, but I'm sure they've worked it out. Yeah. Why would they not want you to have the best knives? <laughs> anyway, so we use them all the time and we were talking and, and I was like, you know, I feel like we should get these sharpened. And Aiden was like, oh, well, where, where can we go? And I was like, well, there's a hardware store that's on, on the way to the gym. I think they sharpen knives, but I don't know if they do kitchen knives. And Aiden was like, what other knives would they sharpen? And I was like, oh, honey, <laughs> there are so many kinds of knives. <laughs> and I know because, again, if you go to Smoky Mountain Knife Works, they'll sharpen knives, but they won't sharpen kitchen knives and they won't sharpen machetes and they won't <laughs> sharpen swords. <laughs> So you're on your own for those. I was going to say, and the reasons for each are probably a little different. 
Yeah, I, I would I would think so. See, I'm, I'm like, I mean, there's the funny answer, but I'm also thinking like, you know, your kitchen knife has been in some shit. You know, they don't want they've got professional tools there to sharpen things. They don't want to gum up their shit with yours. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And also, they're not going to sharpen a sword so you don't kill a motherfucker. Yeah, I feel like being in a retail location and handing someone a freshly sharpened sword is it's probably a bad idea. It's like that bit in Terminator where, where Dick Miller got killed. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Instead of the ballistic discount, it's just... No, I can't even come up with a fancy word for it. It's you got stabbed by someone whose sword you just sharpened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, at a certain point, that's on you. Yeah. We do have a guy at our local farmer's market who sells knives. And I have bought a little kitchen knife from him once. And he does take sharpen, like sharpening from other kitchen knives. And he has the old school one where it's like kind of like a bicycle. And then he like props it up on the mm-hmm. back and just starts pedaling. And the wheel starts going. And it's like, oh, oh, cool. Yeah, you can do that. He's got the grinder. He's got the grinder and the ride home. <laughs> That's good stuff. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I, d- I never get to talk about my interest in knives. So I want to ask, though, so did the interest in knives come from driving past Smoky Mountain Knife Works, or did you hit Fortune Fire first? Uh, no, it was definitely Smoky Mountain Knife Works and seeing the phrase world's largest knife store. And we've known each other for long enough, Lucas, that you know I can't. Like, if I see... If I see world's largest knife store, that's that's a stop. You're pulling over, yeah. On the journey, yeah. <laughs> Much like large fiberglass representations of fruit or animals. Yeah. It's like, you're going to stop and take a picture. Yeah. Otherwise, what are we even doing here, man? Because if you go and it sucks, you're like, yeah, so that was the world's largest knife store. It was exactly what I thought. But if you don't go, you will wonder forever, what is the world's largest knife store like? You will regret it, or I will regret it. At least normal people probably won't. No, I would too. And the thing is, like, I'm also the kind of person where the one time I've been in LA, like, we took an Uber to a place that where we knew where it was. But on the way there, like, you passed like 20 things where you look and you go, oh, that looks really cool. I wonder what's in there. Maybe we'll stop another time. And there is no other time because you'll never find it again. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I very much feel that FOMO. I can get to Smoky Mountain Knife Works. Essentially, I take two turns. From where I live, I can turn on two different streets, and the second street is Interstate 40, and that'll go straight there in about five hours. So it is a, I know the way. I think it's telling that I started to type Smoky Mountain Knife Works into my phone to like get some pictures so we could talk about it. Uh, SMKW.com? It's auto-completed to Smoky Mountain Knife Works coupons, Chris. <laughs> well, Lucas, they've already got the best prices. It's the world's largest knife store. You know they deal in volume. Just imagine someone walking in where it's like, buy, buy two Tantos, get a third for free. Because, I mean, yeah. it's cheaper in the multi-pack. Why would you not? What what got me, what got me was seeing, when I went in, seeing that they had a, like a deal for the holidays that was like 50 knives for $50. Jesus Christ. And you know those are bad <laughs> knives. Oh, they're not good. But it's so many. <laughs> like 50 bad knives you can find a use for 50 bad knives yeah. <laughs> that might be I'm, I'm gonna write down 50 bad knives and that might be the next comic i write <laughs> it's, it's up there with the with is it 12 rounds too <laughs> we only have 12 rounds in the gun <laughs> 50 dean oh, ambrose so in i'm sorry that's 12 round three bad. lockdown oh shit i should have known yeah, there you go. D. Ambrose in 50 Bad Knives. Uh, Dean Ambrose would be amazing in a movie called 50 Bad Knives. That's like the perfect vehicle for him. He's got, he's got a coat like machete where it's just like, oh, and and it's like, 
he doesn't even he doesn't even walk into a room. Just a car drives by and he rolls out from under it. <laughs> He's like covered, covered in grease because that is like the ground state for Dean Ambrose is to be perpetually covered in grease. Yes, very much so. I do still think about the what does Dean Ambrose smell like bit that Marlene did. Oh, I wish that had recorded just a little bit better because it was extremely good. <laughs> a skunk vaping. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. By the way, you'll be happy to know at Smoky Mountain Knife Works, there is a terrifying picture of a character named Uncle Junior, and it says that he's at it again, and he's been cutting prices on lots of great items, and you should get him now. And it's just this terrifying man in an Ushanka hat with the ear flap sticking out, and he's making a face, and I, it's like... I. I don't know if I can approximate what sort of face this is. I'm just going to, I'm going to try and link it to it. Oh, see, I just tried to look up Smoky Mountain Knife Works and it took me to their Pinterest page. They have a Pinterest page, Chris. Look, got to keep track of all those recipes. (laughs) I bought a comic that was sold exclusively at Smoky Mountain Knife Works and I never read it. And then I KonMari'd it. I I got rid of it. Was it about Jared Stevens, the man called Fate? No, but he should he should be the one they sell. This was an original knife based character whose name was Jack Knife oh, with a Y. No. Oh, Chris, no. <laughs> uh Lucas, would I lie to you? <laughs> you have no reason to do so. Oh my god. Yeah, I am not currently getting paid, which means I am not currently making things up. <laughs> I have just sent you at the Google Hangout this picture of Uncle Junior. I want you to describe the look on his face. Let's see this this guy. Oh boy. He is uh he is holding one in. <laughs> oh my god, I just realized as I was looking at the page, they've changed it and it's knives recommended by women for women. See the knives they loved. You might be surprised by what they pick. I, I'm not sure if I would be surprised. I'm pretty sure it's a knife. <laughs> this is a treasure trove. I would love to see what knives are, are recommended by women. I love this picture too. This yeah. stock photo of this smiling lady in yoga pants. Next to next to a knife. Yeah. Also, also, if you look closely at the picture, it is in fact a landscape photo of like some Montana badlands with a sunset, and she has been photoshopped to the point where she is giant. Well, you know that's that's what you want. You want a knife recommended by a giant woman. Look, we joke, but if you told me, hey, this like seven foot tall badass lady who likes to you know sit on the badlands and think about shit has recommended me a knife, I would consider that knife. Yeah. Same. What's weird, though, is that it. Yeah, you're right. It's clearly Western Mountains. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it the Smoky Mountains? Th- that place is in the name of the place is Smoky Mountain Knife Works. Show some dang pride. There was a guy on Fortune Fire who referred to himself as the Smoky Mountain Cowboy, and he had one hell of a Pigeon Forge, Tennessee accent. And I sent a video of him talking to L. Collins, asking, "Is this legit or is he putting it on?" And L. Collins told me point blank, no, that's legit, but there are no cowboys in the Smoky Mountains. I don't know what the fuck he's on about. Yeah, you don't raise cows in the Smokies. (laughs) That's factually incorrect. Can't believe this is just knife talk that we're doing. I know, man. We haven't even gotten to the TV show. (laughs) Oh, you want to talk about Forged and Fire? Yeah, because the thing is, I, I keep bringing it up. I keep tweeting about it and I keep talking about it because it has become one of the only things I watch now. Because with my schedule being all over the place, I very rarely have more, more time than to just sit down for like an hour of TV. And so there will always be a new Fortune Fire. So I will watch that. I think the last time we really watched it was they did some holiday marathon. Mm-hmm. And it might have been Christmas, but I want to say it was Knife's Giving. 
And so it was just like, it was like 24 hours of Forged and Fire, which if people don't know, it's the television show Chopped, but instead of food, they're making knives. It is exactly that. It's great. And here's the thing. It also has a very Great British Bake Up 5 in that many of the contestants, if someone's doing badly, will stop and help. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see people become friends. You'll see people who like will get up a bit of a rapport and, you know, become buddies in the course of this. And it's like, oh, no, I can see where you're trying to do it. You should probably try and do it this way, even though they're compete, They are directly competing with one another. But, you know, nobody wants to see someone fail for something stupid that they've never done before. Yeah. So why not give a little advice? And every time someone loses, the, the response is always, well, look, you know, I completely agree with the judge's decision. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I was pressed for time, but I think I've learned a lot and I'm going to go back and I'll make better knives going forward. And it's just like, oh, guys, I think once I've seen someone be like pissed that they were eliminated. And I'm like, that guy was a dick anyway. The thing that gets me is that if you are eliminated on Forged and Fire, like in that first round, they're like, you must surrender your blade. Yeah. Which is like... You did not make the cut. Brutally harsh. Yeah. Because then you know they destroy it. Because what they do is like you have, what is it, an hour, two hours in the first round? Three hours for the first round, occasionally longer if it's something complicated. To make a knife out of trash. Like, that's the gimmick. Yeah, they'll give you like, oh, here's a chainsaw. You need to find bits of this chainsaw that you can turn into a knife. And if you pick the wrong bits, your knife will suck. Yeah, so I think it's like a really fascinating kind of show you know like it's because it's fun to watch people do this thing and then they're like yeah i just grabbed a bunch of uh like i just grabbed a bumper off a truck i ripped a leaf spring off of a truck axle yeah and now i'm gonna flatten it out and make it a knife yeah and that's pretty cool you know it's you don't in my life i don't know how it is in in australia lucas i've never been there Mm. but in my life i do not often see people practicing the art of blacksmithery me neither although what hooked me on it is that because i don't know if you know this but robert jordan wrote a very popular fantasy series called the wheel of time it's about two million books long uh yes i've heard of it but i've never read it myself very good to stun burglars with (laughs) there is one scene in the third book where for like six pages, he has a character who all this time has told, oh, he's a blacksmith's apprentice. And in the terms of the wire, from a character standpoint, he needs to get clean. He's like, I need to do something. You know, I need to do something just for me. And so he goes to a local smithery and just starts helping out. He doesn't talk to the guy. He's just like, the guy's working on something. And he starts like stoking the forge for him and like hands him something and like helps out. And so he just give and then the blacksmith's like, oh, you're an apprentice? And he goes, yeah. So he gives him a bit of metal and he goes here to see what you can do with that. And then there's this extended very accurate scene of him like drawing out the metal and you know heat treating it and checking it for its properties deciding what to make shaping it grinding it down and then quenching it and then it gets to the end and he shows it to the guy and the guy goes that's good work and he goes great i'm just passing through and he's like well you can stop by anytime you want i remember reading that as like a 14 year old and just being like fascinated and then like turning on fortune fire and it was like that Watching people who know what they're doing talk in very frank ways about what they can do and what they can't do. And when they try something and maybe it doesn't always work, but what can you do is contingency. And the show is very good with its terminology at after you've watched a couple, you start to recognize some of the patterns. And because like you said, nobody does this now. It's a very, very small niche kind of interest. Yeah, everybody who's on the show, like, it is very rare that people are like, oh, I'm a professional blacksmith. They are on there because they do exist. But more often than not, it's like, I am a hobbyist. I've been blacksmithing for about four years. It's like, yeah, this dude woke up one day and he decided he wanted to make knives. And now yeah. he does. That's that's great. It's really fun to see, you know, 
dude who just woke up one morning and decided he was going to be a blacksmith now. I think that's fun. And there are always the oddballs. There's always, like, there was a guy who came in. Like, uh, I, got, I got news for you, Lucas. They're all oddballs. <laughs> sure. So say we all. We can smell our own. But there's one guy who came in literally dressed as an elf quest elf. Like, he had the ears. He had, like, his hair in these two long braids. He was wearing a jerkin, a little Robin Hood hat. Loving it. <laughs> I can tell you. And the thing is, he was also like a big jacked dude, and he was very, he was good enough to get to the final, and he came out in like street clothes for the final. But it was just like, for the first half of it, I'm thinking, okay, how, okay, there are four forges going at full speed in a closed room. I wonder how long before he starts to lose bits of his outfit, and the answer was about 30 minutes. <laughs> the hat went, and the bracers went, and it was just like, <laughs> all right. My thing with Fortune Fire is, uh, I will always root against the guy who wears a utility kilt. Oh, uh, yeah. And there's always a guy who wears a utility kilt. It's one of the few times where utility kilt is actually practical because it's extremely hot. Yeah. And so you want to get some airflow, but it's, yeah, you're still a douche guy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But then Fortune Fire has given birth to this oddball monster child, already an oddball itself. It's like when you... Oh, I'm sorry. Are you talking about a Forged in Fire knife or death? You better believe I'm talking about knife or death. So I explain Forged in Fire. Chris, you explain knife or death. Yeah, man. Forged in Fire knife or death is hosted by professional wrestler Bill Goldberg. <laughs> and it is an obstacle course. You bring your knife that you have made and they make you do an obstacle course. That is, of course, a knife-based obstacle course. So it's all things that you need to cut. And you are timed, which means you watch this show and it's just people running with knives and then hitting things until their knives break and become jagged pieces of metal. <laughs> and I mean, the fortune fire tests are already pretty tough. Yeah. Like Jay Nielsen will take the knife that you just made out of, you know, a pickaxe and some bits of bike chain. And he will beat it against like the metal edge of a barrel hard enough that some of them will in fact shatter. Yeah. And I think that's really only the, the only time that Jane Nielsen enjoys anything is when he's beating a knife against something hard until it breaks. Got to make a strong knife. And then see, I want to know how a knife made out of, you know, busted ass bits of chain and stuff can survive being battered against a literal cannon at one point. But then I can't put a knife in the dishwasher without bits coming off the edge. Well, look, you know, it's, it's, it should theoretically they should have burned all the impurities out of it it's it's like that usagi ojimbo mm -hmm. uh, about making a sword oh know? i i read that after i'd started watching fortune fire and i'm like <gasps> they're making damascus but they're doing it in a pit in the ground this rules yeah that's right you've been getting into into usagi lately yeah because there was a sale on comiXology where they were like oh here's 30 volumes of usagi ojimbo at about five bucks a pop yeah that's worth it oh and by the way they're about 600 pages each. Oh, were they the saga? They were the saga ones, yeah. I conmarried a lot of my Usagi Ojimbos, but only because the trade dress didn't match. Yeah, that's a pain. And now I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go get I'm just going to go get the the saga editions. Yeah. But I kind of just want to get them all digitally now cuz that's that's how I prefer to read comics these yeah. days. And thing is, it's great for that because Usagi Ojimbo is full of panels that you'll want to screenshot and send to someone and kind of smack at them and go, "Look at this. Look at this." And it's also like 150 issues long. Yeah, it's massive. You want to just blow through all of it. What's been your favorite part of Usagi so far? See, I don't know. I, I tend to fall into, like, I, I kind of love the little ones where he goes on these tiny little, like, side quests. It should just be subtitled, Stan Sakai read a book about seaweed farming. 
you know. But see, I love the detail of all of that. And I, lo- I like the stuff with Kitsune and like all the con artist stuff is fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just realized I'm like, I'm just going to list all of them. And it's like, oh, you know, when he meets up with the demon hunter, whose name I'm forgetting, which you probably know. Uh, so I'm a priest sensible. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Or, or Lo- Lone Goat and Kid. Lone Goat and Kid. <laughs> what about uh, Inspector Yoshida? Yeah, Inspector Yoshida rules because he's got a sword breaker and sword breakers are cool. Yep. And also he's he Sherlock Holmes with Usagi as Watson. He's Columbo. Ah. He's, he's visually based on Columbo. Yeah. Which is a very nice. It's so good, Chris. Yeah, man. It's a, like, you know, we say it all the time. Like, there's never been a bad issue. That comic's been around for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's never had a bad issue. That is not how that is supposed to work. <laughs> You're supposed to have a dip every now and again. But it's like, oh, no, we'll throw in a comedy story where Usagi and some friends have to pretend to be ghosts in a forest to scare off some bandits. Oh no, here's one where he rests at a temple and he's nearly killed by a cat monster. Or here's one with Godzilla. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yes, where all the the kaiju. Yeah. Where it was the enchanted brush. And so he would draw a turtle and then Gamera would be there. Yeah. At this point, if there was a bad Usagi Ajimbo, right? A, it would probably still be pretty good. (laughs) And B, you'd be like, finally. Like, it would be a relief. <laughs> be like releasing a breath you've held for 30 fucking years. Yeah. Finally, we know Stan Sakai is human, like the rest of us. No, instead, he's just some sort of lively spirit sitting there with his little beard. Yeah. Just making excellent comics for his whole life. Yeah, instead, he's just a guy who can be like, I want to take my furry samurai comic and then just do War of the Worlds yeah. for six issues. Like, like with Martians. It'll be a side series. We'll call it Senso. But you know what? It'll, yeah, you fight literal Martians. Yeah. And guess what? It's still going to be extremely good. <laughs> oh, that was that was the one. I remember because like, I, 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 uh, I recently re-became a line stepper because that shit's important. I had realized I had four lists built to send in. I'm like, I have to cut this down to one. But I very nearly sent you the story where Jotaro has been traveling with Uzagi for like a month. And it's time for them to separate. And Usagi can't quite tell Jotaro that he's his father. And so he just says, look, it's been really, it's been lovely traveling with you. And you'll be a great samurai one day. And I, I really respect you. And Jotaro is like, okay, thank you. Yes, it has been great. I'm going to miss you. And as he leaves, Jotaro reveals that his mother said, oh, yes, this is your father. I'm sending you with him to get to know him. And he's like, but my father didn't tell me. He must not want me to be a burden on him. Oh, but I just wanted to scream at him. You're my father. You're my father. And then Usagi hears the fucking echo as he goes up the hill and he blames it on hearing things. It must just be the wind. And ah, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, man. It's good. It's real fucking good. Yeah. And that's like, like, I love that because that's, that's the classic example, right? Of Usagi's only real character flaw Mm -hmm. is not a flaw he's too honorable which is like saying oh my flaw i just care too much yeah i'm too much of a perfectionist but it is this thing where like it does hurt him it is a drawback like it is one of the things that keeps him from being happy yeah because he's looking at this kid who is his son and he says if i tell him that i'm his father it will ruin his relationship with his adoptive father and what if he's angry that, uh, you know, I haven't told him sooner? And will this damage his relationship with his mother? No, it could cause too much harm. I can't consider it no matter how much I want it. And it's just like, 
yeah ah and also like i you know i shouldn't have been with his mother to begin with even though we were in love like it wasn't like we knew we could never be together it's i mean it's really good it's, it's extremely good and even just looking back and like i mentioned the the seaweed farming issues and then like you'll watch something like was it salt fat acid heat mm-hmm. where she goes to japan and speaks to the seaweed farmers and i'm just like oh i already know about this what i read a comic book about a rabbit yeah my rabbit friend told me <laughs> it's extremely well researched everything is my exquisitely drawn deceptively simple rabbit friend told me <laughs> oh boy that dual kitanoji oh yes that's so initially when I sent that into Ajax, I had not read that book. You'd mentioned it previously in passing. And I went, okay, well, this is going to be good. I was not prepared, Chris. Even with all the praise that you and Matt heaped on it, deserved praise, I was not prepared for exactly how much that particular issue took its time. Yeah, well, because you find out about the duel. And then they're like, yeah, the duel's going to happen in a year. And then there's an entire paperback's worth of story between them. Because there's seasons in between it. And seasons is also extremely good. Mm -hmm. But you never kind of forget, oh, the Dooley Kitanoji is coming up. Oh, we're going to get that in a second. Every once in a while, it'll cut back to not Usagi Sensei, the other guy whose name I always forget. You know the guy I mean. Yeah, I know know who you mean. I I also do not uh, currently remember his name. Yeah, and it's like they'll cut to adventures that he's having and he becomes an ally for them for a little while. For all that he's quite prickly at first, he proves his worth and becomes a loyal and trusted friend. And then at the end of those, they'll be like, Hey, you know, you don't have to duel this guy, you know, because you've helped us. You're one of our friends now. And he's like, no, I'm still going to do it. Yeah. Honor dictates that I must. Yeah. And it's never a thing like it's presented as value neutral, mm-hmm. right? That this guy is going to either kill a man or die because of a matter of honor. That it's explicitly only a matter of honor. They have no beef with each other. Yeah. And it's like at one point they even flash back to when they were teenagers and like training together yeah. and like how they were good friends. But still, they got to do it. And there's never like, oh, this is, you know, this is foolish or this is the best thing to do. It's like, no, this guy is doing this. This is his reason. We're going to watch the play out. And I think that's like really interesting. Yeah. And much like Usagi, where it's like, oh, his sense of honor means he has to do the right thing no matter how much it hurts him. And he will choose the right thing in any scenario, because if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be him. In the same way, both of these characters in the duel can't avoid the duel or they would have to not be who they are. Exactly. It's a good stuff. It's never a foregone conclusion either. What's going to happen? You get flashback stories for both of them that could have easily been, all right, well, at the end of this flashback, this person dies. You know, it's like how in Lost, when someone's about to die, suddenly you get a whole bunch of tragic backstory. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, well, that's because they're going to croak at the end of the episode. So, uh, yeah, I made you feel for this person and now I take him away. That could have been the case, but it's it's not. Instead, it's equal limelight is given to both characters. Yes, very much so. And, you know, you never know how that duel is going to go until the point of that sword dips. Exactly. And then, well, even then, because Usagi had noticed a weakness in the guy's technique, like 10 issues earlier. Yeah, I did. And then, like, the issue before, he goes to his sensei, who is one of the members of the duel, and goes, hey, so I know this thing. And the sensei says, you shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. I don't want to know it. If he beats me, he beats me. If I win, I wanted to win because I'm better, not because you told me a weakness. Yeah. If I see the weakness, I'll use it. Yeah. If you, I don't want you to be Marty McFly sending me a letter from the past. Ain't going to happen. Yeah. Because I'd be cheating. It's really good. And then the duel itself, which in the story maybe takes about a minute less. It's like six pages. Oh, it's, yeah. And it's the pacing in that book 
is just just staggeringly good right like i mean it's it's just so like it's everything in that book is good but the way it's paced and the way everything plays out and the way everything flows like there there are very few things i like more than comics that play the long game and even when it's not my favorite comic i love when a comic will take the time to like set itself up and get the space to do something over the course of years because that's such a rarity in comics today where if your orders for number three aren't high you're not going to get a number six Mm -hmm. you know or worse you'll get one trade and then you get to nine and get canceled which is an increasingly common thing which just uh, it frustrates me so much at least finish the second trade come on or that'll happen and then you'll come back like an unstoppable wasp (laughs) yeah yeah which is a very good book it's a very good book. Hi, Jeremy. Come on the show. He should come on the show. He's a good guy. Yeah. He brought me coffee the other day because <laughs> I was out of coffee. Uh-huh. So you just turned up at your house, friends bearing coffee? Yeah. I was like, man, I'm out of coffee. And he's like, oh, do you want to come to the coffee shop and work? And I was like, listen, yes, but I have this thing that I have to get done by noon. So I can't like take the time to actually drive over to the coffee shop because, you know, it's it's North Carolina. I would have had to drive to a place that was about halfway between us. And he was like, oh, I'll bring you a cup of coffee. And I was like, sweet, I need a latte. Because <laughs> Jeremy's a good friend. I am a bad friend. <laughs> he offered, he offered. And so I got to see him and, and hang out just a little bit. And I got coffee out of it. He's a good guy. In case you were wondering, Jeremy Whitley, a good guy. Yes, he is. I had that feeling that he was. I mean, I had Ted Brandt and Rostein on the show early in the run. And they also had nothing but good things to say about Jeremy. Yeah, he's a good guy. So just not as good as uh, Stan Sakai. (laughs) Who among us can be, Chris? No kidding. That shining diamond Stan Sakai. But just coming back briefly to you mentioned things being set up and paying off a lot longer. I'm in the middle of a more than meets the eye reread. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that book kind of does that. A lot. A really lot. Yeah. Like put it this way. I have not read some of those early issues since I first started reading it like seven or eight years ago. And however long it was when it came, when it was coming out and I started reading it on like trade four. And then I read from the beginning and, and went through and they're setting shit up for issue 50 mm-hmm. in issue three. Oh, th- there are things set up in chaos theory, which comes out like two years before more than meets the eye starts. It is a two issue fill in story in somebody else's book. Yeah. Cause the thing is, I'm, I know I was reading your transform man stuff when you were writing about it back in the day. But I mean, Transformers, I think, was actually my first fandom. It pipped He-Man for maybe a year before I got into it. I am that guy. And for the longest time, I was the guy who never talked about it. Even on the internet. It's like, you might not realize, but the Transformers fandom is seen as a weird fandom, even in the realm of the internet fandoms. (laughs) And so I would never bring it up. I would just sit and like, in my boring job, just read pages and pages of TF Wiki and Ben's World of Transformers that would do toy reviews and stuff. So I feel like now reading More Than Meets the Eye and everyone acknowledging that More Than Meets the Eye is fucking excellent. It's like, oh, I can have access to this part of my Dreamcatcher memory palace again. Yeah. And be like, I can talk about the Magnificence and the various Scorpinox that there have been and all those fucking Simon Fermanisms that still come out. But it's like, yeah. And the thing is, spoilers if you haven't read this, the comic that has been out for a long time. Chekhov's semicolon. A semicolon. <laughs> in a throwaway gag about how reading law books is boring. Yeah. Fucking semicolon. Gotta pay attention to the Autobot code. I guess I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know I haven't finished Lost Light. 
Me neither. This is actually that is actually what prompted this. Yeah, because I can't bring myself to do it. Because I know, I know I'm gonna be sad. And like, as long as I don't finish it, it's still out there, right? But as far as I know, James Roberts isn't doing anything right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure he's doing something, but he just came off, you know, five, six years of doing the best comic around. Yeah, probably, probably curating some excellent playlists on Spotify. Probably so. Good taste in music, that guy. Writing some more elaborate text pieces about Swerve, <laughs> which I would love to read. And about Iron Fist in his sobriquet of Physitron. Because <laughs> that there was a prose story called Bullets that he wrote before he ever got a job writing Transformers comics. And some of that shit made it into more than meets the eye. Yeah, like, he did it, everybody. He made his fanfic canon. Like, it happened. So yes, you out there writing that fanfic, you could be the next James Roberts. His fanfic was so good that they hired him and he made his fanfic canon. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I can't wait until you get to that era of Xena on Xena Warrior Business where they're hiring fanfic writers and shit gets even weirder. We're close because we're up in season three now. So we just did the first uh, episode of season three. So we're getting pretty rapidly to the point where Xena fandom was uh, a going concern. <laughs> I did quite enjoy you explaining the phenomenon of Tony Todd to Allison. <laughs> he's, he's the candy man. Even I know that one. Nick Cage killed him with a rocket for saying he doesn't like Elton John. <laughs> oh, so sometimes things are good. Things are good. Because I had, I read comics this week. Uh huh. And I was just happy because I read so many good comics and it's, I, I'm such a bitter old jaded cuss mm -hmm. that, that I, I, I was like, oh, I love these. I remember now I love these things. It's such a great feeling. These comic books. These books of comics, which you love so much. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, like, yeah, go for it. I mean, cause you've been doing the catch up thing, right? Yeah. And and we had um Jason Latour on the show mm -hmm. this week, right? Mm -hmm. So you know I read the I read the new stuff that came out this week. So I read Immortal Hulk, I read Avengers, Daredevil. Uh, I haven't read Sierra Muerte yet, but obviously I am looking forward to it. That's uh, Michelle Fife's mm -hmm. uh, GI Joe book that I can't wait to read. He's your boy from Cobra. Yes, but then like then we had Latour on, so I read like thirty issues of Spider Spider Gwen, which is an incredible series, and like really is that good. It's just like, man, these things, I love them. And I think it's something that's easy to forget. Like if you get if you get some rum ones or you get some frustrating ones, actually, yeah, more than actively bad. Let's say you get some comics that are occasionally frustrating, right? Uh -huh. Like from a story standpoint or occasionally from an art standpoint, like you just can't gel with it. And you get to the end and you feel like, ah, oh. like it's a feeling I can only I can only compare to like, say you like an album by a band. And then they come out with a new album and it's the first one since you started liking the band that's new. And then you go out and you buy it and you get home and you listen to it and you go, huh, I, I guess I don't like this thing. And it's such a letdown because you went into it with such positive energy. That can be the feeling where it's like, I'm excited for this comic and it didn't quite do it for me. Yeah. It's not even like a negative feeling. It's just like you're sitting in neutral. But then every once in a while you'll get one and you're like, yeah, comics are really, really good. Actually, comics are great. Yeah. And Immortal Hulk is pretty incredible. I don't know if you're reading that one, Lucas, but... I haven't read it yet. It's on my list, but... Because I've heard you guys going through it. God almighty. And I saw that that cover with those those jars of Hulk. Yeah. Not the most recent issue, but the, the next to most recent issue. Just had, like, a bunch of philosophy, including just asking the question, 
if the Hulk is the bad side, right? If, if the Hulk is, is what comes out because of your negative emotions, because you, your anger and your frustration, does God have a Hulk? <laughs> and the phrase, <laughs> does God have a Hulk, is so silly. So choice. But also so choice. And it's so like, oh my God, like that's where this book is going. This book that's basically about, hey, is Hulk the devil, actually? <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. It's a uh, good content, my man. Or even just like reading a comic and liking it and then having it sit with you for a few days and go, you know what? I love that book. I had that with Tom Taylor's All New Wolverine, where it's like I got three volumes for I think it was like three bucks a pop on Comixology on a whim. Like it was, I always think it was actually in the Black Friday sale. And I was like, I didn't have a ton of money at the time. And I was like, ah, I'll see what's there. I'll get a couple of things, you know. Oh, this stuff is in the sale. This stuff is on. Yeah, I'll get these ones. I think I got, like I got Iceman. I got All New Wolverine. And I got something else. I forget. But I, w- I read All New Wolverine. And I got to the end. And I'm like, that was good. And then like I realized I was still thinking about it like two days later. And I went, wait, what? I love a Wolverine book? Am I 14 again? What What is happening? But no, it's very, very good. I know, I know that one's on your list too, right? At some point. Uh, that one I haven't read yet. Yeah. Uh, I do want to get to it at some point though, yeah. I was going to say, this is an extremely petty story, but I have to say it. There are two Australian comics professionals where I have three times been in the same room as them and not had a conversation with them. And it's Nicholas Scott and Tom Taylor. And both through the same couple who I used to know who have since broken up and I don't talk to him anymore. And she's then moved to Canada to live in the mountains of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there going, it's like, well, there goes my in to have a chat with these two people whose work I really admire. <laughs> and now if I see them, I can't say, oh, hey, we were at a party together three years ago. doesn't work that way. That is not going to go well. Yeah, probably not. I hate to agree with you on that one, but yes. <laughs> Probably not going to go that well. Yeah, I was at Scott and Kat's birthday. It was really hot. And we were playing like those Wii U games that come with the system. And you were on the balcony because it was incredibly hot. And I just never made it around to that end of the party. But you were there. I heard later. <laughs> That's very funny. But yeah, like so much stuff lately. Oh, and, and the other thing, you talked about getting a bunch of stuff on, on comicology mm-hmm. sales. I signed up for Shonen Jump. Oh, yeah. Yesterday. And I read like a like a little bit of One Punch Man. That was my oh, yes. that was my me time reading. That's one of my library books. Whenever I see the next one is available, I get that motherfucker. Yeah, but like getting Shonen Jump is two dollars a month, and it's like what? you can read all of One Piece if you want. Yeah. Wow, that's really cheap. They're doing it like unlimited style. And I was talking to Matt about this. Like Marvel Unlimited is seventy bucks a year, which works out to like six bucks a month. Comicsology Unlimited is six bucks a month. Shonen Jump, more or less unlimited, is. $2 a month. That's less than I used to spend on comics when I was like a teenager. And you'll never run out of good stuff. Even if you just have Marvel Unlimited, you'll never run out. There's enough. <laughs> That's why I'm so annoyed that when Comicsology Unlimited first came out, they were like, oh yeah, you can get it. You just need to tie it to your Amazon account. And I'm like, uh, I've had my own Comicsology account for like years now. I don't really want to tie it to Amazon because then I'll have to buy it through Amazon. And I already buy enough stuff through Amazon that I don't really approve of their methods. But Oh, well. And so I linked it to get Comicsology Unlimited, got halfway through the process and was told, oh, no, we can see your main address for Amazon is in Australia. Unlimited is not available in Australia. Goodbye. <laughs> Ooh, that's a rough one. Now they've flagged my Comicsology account that even if I go through a VPN, they won't even get me to the sign up page. Oh, and I don't know how they've done that. <laughs> that's a yikes. Some tantalous shit. But now talking about the Shonen Jump stuff. I think that's so great because especially it's so daunting that, you know, so many of these manga series have, you know, 
30 volumes. And oftentimes you can blow through a volume in 20 minutes if it's particularly action-based. And so there's this great kind of idea of, well, it's a huge sunk cost to get involved in this thing. Like, I mean, I've been, I read a lot of it through my library because they have a big manga section and you can just walk in and if there's a number one of something and I like the cover, I will pick it up and read it because I have yeah. like very little history with manga. So I will take a punt on anything. You know, I read a romance comic about a kendo club at a school called Bamboo Blade. I read a thing about library police in the future of shutting down book trafficking rings. It's like, and that was fun. I read Soul Eater, which was really bad. But I actually wanted to ask you, and this is one where it's like, I had never heard of it. I picked it up on a whim because it was next to the kids section in the library and Hero was playing with the toys. Have you read a series called Gone, G-O-N, about a little dinosaur? Uh, no, but I've heard of it. That's about the little dinosaur, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I have not read it. Oh my God. I was so surprised by that book. One, it's beautiful. Like everything is photorealistic with the exception of the little dinosaur. So you have these like beautiful wildlife fights and action and forests and it's as detailed as manga can get and then also you have occasionally these fun little silly stories about the dinosaur equivalent of one punch man <laughs> where he is you know incredibly heavy if required incredibly strong if required and doesn't stop for any of your bullshit will be walking somewhere and if you're in his way he will bite your tail and throw you over the horizon like you're at five thousand percent in smash brothers it's great. Yeah, that was one of those books that back in the day, much in the same way that I got turned on to Usagi Ajimbo, that Wizard, I think, was like, this is weird Japanese comic that you should try out. And I, I think DC at one point, like DC kind of made a half-hearted stab at doing manga, mm -hmm. like getting licenses for stuff because they did, uh, what is it, Battle Arena Toshinden? Is that it? No, that can't be it. Oh, yeah, that was the video game. Yeah, that's a video game, but it's something with a title like that. Let me, let me, let's see here. Because they changed, they, they like took out all the panty shots and people were really mad, because of course. Because <laughs> we can't have nice things. Apparently there's a Batman in the Justice League manga. Here it was, CMX was their short-lived manga imprint. Tenjo Tenge. Ah, uh, the there you go. Yeah, and they did do Gone. And like literally I searched CMX and it says, it was an imprint of DC Comics. It is known for its censoring of Tenjo Tenge. <laughs> It was a big controversy, and it's like, okay. Everyone calm down. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm just going to send you a link to the bad website where I was posting about Gaunt so you can see some of these pictures. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, yeah, this looks dope as hell. Actually, that's, that's a dinosaur fighting a bear. Yep. Because the bear is in his way, and the dinosaur wants to eat the fish, and then the dinosaur falls asleep on the bear, and the bear has to pretend to be asleep because if he wakes up and the dinosaur knows he wakes up, he's going to get his ass beat again. Is Olive Gone drawn like this? I thought it was more cartoony. No, it's like that. Like It's incredibly realistic. Huh. With the exception Amazing. of, you know, what is essentially Agumon from Digimon, but angrier. <laughs> There's a second tweet in the thread, which is about Gone Goes Flying, which is where it just starts with a nest of golden eagles. And he's there as one of the chicks because he thinks it's cool that he can just hang out and get fed. Uh -huh. If a chick falls out of the nest, the mom grabs him by his tail and chucks him down the hill after the chick because then a lynx sneaking up on the chick and gone just lands and just beats the shit out of the lynx and the chick bites onto gone's tail and when gone walks back he drags the chick back with him it's it's great that's and then he tries to he tries to fly with them by jumping like the incredible hulk <laughs> i like it lucas i like it it's very good it's all wordless as well so it's all just these incredibly detailed pictures that tell the story all right well uh it's been about an hour. 
<laughs> you want to wrap up? Yeah, sure. All right, Chris. So if people want to not that I'm not that I'm trying to hustle you. It's just you know. <laughs> been re- I know you got to edit this later. Yeah, and you've been podcasting for like three fucking hours, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a it's been a day. You've been getting good with the Lord, and then you talked about some rabbit comics, and now we're here. <laughs> it's true. It's what I do. It's what I do, and that's how I do it. All right, Chris. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? Well, I am on the Bat website, which you can find me as at the ISB there if you want. I don't really use it much because it's a very bad website. I don't know if you know about that. I've heard that. Yeah. But if you ask me a question, I will more than likely answer. So feel free. You can also find me by going to my website, which is the-isb.com. And that's got links to everything that I do. Like I do a bunch of podcasts like Warwick and Ajax, which is a, a fun one. And I do uh, Apocrypals, where I read the Bible with my friend Benito. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it. It's very good. I make lots and lots of wrestling jokes in response to the episodes. And Benito is very nice about it because he doesn't watch wrestling. Yes. We build the show as we're non-believers who are reading the Bible, but we're trying not to be jerks about it. Like there's a specific reason why we don't refer to ourselves as atheists, even though that is the technical term for what we are. But yeah, go there and find all that stuff. I did a bunch of comics that you can go read, but uh, nothing that I can talk about coming out anytime soon. So yeah, go go look at the back catalog. Go listen to Apocrypha Pals. War Rocket Ajax has a Patreon. You can check that out. Also Sailor Business. Also Xena Business. Xena Warrior Business. Yeah. You do many things. You have many skills. I have many skills. Including lifting extremely heavy things. That's right. 310, baby. <laughs> All right, Chris. Thank you for coming on. 310 did lift. Consider ourselves revenge. All right. I'll talk to you later, buddy. Thank you very much to Chris Sims for his time. For Chris's signature cocktail, his third for those playing along at home, I took into consideration the fact that Chris doesn't usually keep much booze in the house, and I wanted to give him something that he could make with stuff that's lying around, so I know he keeps a little bit of bourbon, and the rest of it can be found in, you know, your average kitchen of someone who goes to a farmer's market, as I know Chris does. And so I present Damascus Time. In a shaker or heavy bottom glass, peel all the leaves off of a sprig of thyme. Muddle the thyme leaves slightly with a spoon or a muddling stick. Add two ounces of bourbon whiskey, half an ounce of maple syrup, and half an ounce of lemon juice. Add ice and stir vigorously. Strain into a cocktail glass and serve with a sprig of thyme and a twist of lemon. My sword doesn't thirst as much as it did when I was younger. Enjoy.
to Matthewview is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Thursday, with a bonus episode in between. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofview at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofview, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You could make it rain. You could throw money at me. I would be impressed if you did that. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcast or whatever they're calling it this week, in the country of your choice, and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also read a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? We've actually had a pretty big week for reviews. On the Australian iTunes store, Tigranosaurus says, Ostensibly a podcast about formational media, but actually about the fundamental humanness of us all, and the way in which we construct ourselves out of the ideas we consume. Charming, Australian host. Thanks, Tigranosaurus, and I appreciate the portmanteau. And ye gods, we've actually got three new reviews on the American iTunes website. First is from Undead Fred, and it says five stars worth the listen. Lucas's editing prowess is amazing, and the guests are so fun. Musical choices are three thumbs up emojis. Amazing podcast all around. Give the math of you a try. Oh, thanks, Fred. The next is from Stray Farce, and that's a great understanding of others. Five stars. I enjoy this podcast immensely. While listening with my spouse, it fosters excellent conversations about how we relate to a given situation or commend an anecdote for teaching us something about ourselves or cheering a shared interest. People rarely get the chance to sit down and get to know someone else's perspective, and I think it's so important for empathy, especially the way the world is, to take a moment to walk a mile in someone else's shoes by listening to their stories. Thanks, Lucas, for sharing these and your stories with us. Wasn't that nice? I really like that one. And finally, we have a well-curated romp, five stars, from Definitely Not Hub. Hmm. I discovered the show a few months ago, and it rapidly became a favorite. Lucas is a great interviewer, and the concept and format of the show leads to delightful organic conversations and a genuine enthusiasm that I find infectious. I look forward to new episodes coming out every Wednesday. (coughs) Um, not Hub, it's Thursday now. But yes, thank you everyone for leaving these amazing reviews. It really makes me happy. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one with every song I've ever used, including this one. This is Rabbit Heart by Florence and the Machine. I update the playlist every week with new music as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get new music in your ears. Next week, it's the return of Emily Booza. Join me, won't you? Oh, did you just hear that? I did. That was Hero, like literally kicking down the door of our spare room and coming in to take his little scooter helmet and put it on his head, saying, "All right, let's go." And it's like, dude, you're in your pajamas. You you cannot go. In, you cannot go on your scooter right now. Scoot, scoot, not scoot, scoot. Come on. Scoot, scoot. Awesome. <laughs> you hearing this? Yeah, it's delightful. Uh, he's like he's got his helmet on backwards. He's wearing like a one piece black pajama suit. <laughs> looking looking like he found a symbiote. And he's like, now nah, let's go, man. Here, come on, come on. Go, go on, go with your mom.
Say bye, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go on. Come on. Is he talking now? I left it on. Yeah, he, he's saying a lot. He's counting to ten. He's. Yes, Hero. How can I help you? All right, he is now sitting on my lap. Oh, that's adorable. Oh, now he's trying to press buttons. All right, you're cut off, kid. No, naughty boy. Come on. All right, thank you, honey. You pushed it. Grab the door, please. <laughs> All right, the door is closed. A fun little interlude there. Very good. And now what were you saying? Oh, yeah, you're talking about part-time uh, blacksmiths. Well, it's 